0: Hello, and welcome to episode 118 of Cybersecurity Interviews. This is going to be the first in my up and coming rising stars in cybersecurity episodes. And this first episode is going to be with Nato Riley. Nato is an integrations engineer at Bulmera and the co founder of Cloud Underground. Nato provides infrastructure, code, and security across all his efforts and is focused on helping Bulmera build the most effective and efficient SIM on the market for small to medium sized businesses. He's also the co-host as NATO as Code in the Cloud Underground Productions on YouTube, the creator and maintainer of the Olympiapad platform and the founder of Notia Point, now known as Cloud Underground. In this episode, we discuss starting in technology, repairing computers, going to school for public speaking, finding passion in information security, trying too hard to pass certification tests, going out on his own, mentorships, burnout, diversity, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening, Nathan, Thank you for joining me on cybersecurity interviews. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you today, Doug? Doing well, though. I'm looking at it. I don't know how much snow you got by you, but we're, we're relatively close to each other geographically. But here in Boulder, it's the um, you know the late April snowstorm of a, close to seven, eight inches that I had to sho- shovel this morning. So
1: it's been crazy. It, you know, it's been because uh, because I'm in Boulder County, so <laughs> it's definitely snowy. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's one of those things that, you know, you have to kind of constantly adapt and overcome living in Boulder with the weather as much as we have to do with uh, cybersecurity.
1: That's right. Disasters all the time in every way. It's like shoveling while you're trying to get ready for those morning meetings while something probably just went wrong.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, I I'm excited to have you on. You know, we've known each other now for a couple of years through the online community, which is probably how I know most people in cybersecurity or really technology going back almost scarily 40 30 years. But um, you know, we this is the first time we've really got to to talk in depth and I'm I'm happy to do this because I've as I said to you, I've looked at you as kind of a rising star in the industry. You know, I've I've done 115 or 20 episodes or whatever and I've talked to a lot of different people, but what I'm finding is I want to talk to more people that I'm looking at as, as these rising stars. And I, I kind of view, view you as one and love to hear, you know, what, let's start with, you know, really how you got into what work security now, because it was probably very different when you started than when I started 40 years ago.
1: <laughs> totally. You know, and it even makes me think about like people starting now is probably even different from when I, when I started. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things, cause I've been looking up to, to like your show and things like that. So it's, it's one of those things where when you're trying to build a professional presence you know when you like realize like oh I guess I guess the things that I do matter uh and my the way that my career started definitely wasn't uh I guess conventional because most of mine came from just tinkering until someone was like hey this job that you've been doing because I was selling cell phones at one point They're like, that job's going away because, you know, the contract for selling cell phones won't work anymore. And they're like, but you can work on computers. And I really liked the people I worked with at the time. Uh, And this was like before 2010. Uh, And I was like, well, you know, I want to keep working with with everyone. But, uh, you know, I guess I'll go ahead and try this computer stuff. So that sounds fine. So then they threw me in a dark corner where there are no windows with a ton of malware and people's broken business computers uh, right in the middle of a recession. So that was pretty much just like trial by fire. Like, here you go. You're a technology professional now. And then from that day forward, I couldn't, I I tried to get jobs in public speaking because that's what I was going to college for even when I was working in technology. Uh, And I just, for the life of me, couldn't get, it's funny, I see people talking about like, I can't get a job in cybersecurity, I can't get into the industry and all this stuff. And I wanted to be a public speaker. And that was, you know, my, my whole vision at the time, I went to school for it, I, you know, I used to be on stage when I was younger, and things like that, and be like halftime shows and announcements. And for the life of me, I could not get the kind of job that I've spent what felt like my whole life that I was working toward. Uh, But then then the, the work I could get was a job building cloud because they're like, oh, you know how some of these things work in an interview. Uh, they told me I didn't have enough experience and all this stuff, but they're like, well, we'll hire you. Actually, a- after <laughs> so my second job, uh, I-, I got it because I couldn't get a job doing public speaking. I could really only get a job working in technology, and-, and then I got a cloud job, which turned out to be a good good option for me. So then, you know, that led to me learning more about like HIPAA, and then. Eventually, I started working with sim technologies, which led to me working at Logarithm, and then I eventually had to figure out my own life stuff and uh, started my own company. Uh, and that company was Notion Point, which technically, like, I changed the name of it now, so that's all changing. But still, uh, now I also work with Blue Mira as well and do engineering with them. So. Just lots of engineering, I guess, but it didn't start from like I didn't choose to go into engineering uh, until I was like, well, this isn't too bad, and you you start working with things and you kind of start to like it after a while. So someone said to me the other day, and I started to believe things this way because people used to tell me, well, you know, I I I don't have any passions, so I, I guess I probably won't be able to find some career that I'd ever be passionate about because I don't have any passions. But lately, my my thoughts have changed because it's like, well, passion comes from things that you do a lot. And, you know, I just spent a lot of time in technology. And then the next thing I know, now I'm very passionate about it. But if you were to ask me in 2006, if I want to work in technology, I'd say, no, absolutely not. That's the last thing you will ever catch me doing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, and that's scary. I mean, it's there. there is a theme there, you know, from myself going back to when I started with the early 80s and computers uh, to really when I turned into a in the early 90s. was was almost that same kind of thing of, hey, um, I, I guess I fixed a printer. So then I became the printer guy. <laughs> Um, and then I became the printer guy for like the whole neighborhood. And then it was like, hey, can you install AOL? And my friend called me the other day. He's like, you know, I was talking to this guy that's – it's a he's a mixologist trying to get into cybersecurity, which I said was ironic because I'm a cybersecurity guy trying to get into mixology. But, you know, I said uh, – you know, he's talking to his friend at the bar and he said – I was like, yeah, I'm starting to get into cyber. And he said, well, my friend Doug, you know, went from installing AOL to cybersecurity. And I'm like, that's not the perfect – succinct way of it describing my story arc. But I think that's really how so many people ha- you know, kind of fall into it. You you almost find something put on your lap and you say, all right, I can figure this out. And then you become yeah. that person <laughs> that suddenly you're the expert in.
1: Yeah. It's like uh, if you know how to do something that everyone else is trying to figure out how to do and like, well, can you do that one thing? And, and if it's printers or if it's helping with malware, or, you know, one of the things that made me a, a staple when I started working with technology is because a lot of my hobbies, I actually learned technology, I get networking, I learned networking on a Dreamcast, at like in 2001, because of a game called fantasy star online, I wanted to play it, we didn't have dial up internet, I was a kid, and I discovered that you could use other people's dial up minutes. As a kid, you don't have credit cards or know how that works. And, you're, and, and so in my brain, I was like, Oh, internet's free, you just have to do all these crazy steps, and you can get free internet. So so there you go. And so you know that was kind of like my introduction to learning how to do things that were technical. But as a kid, I'm like, oh, okay, like this is just how this is just how things work. I didn't think that that was something that was hard or complicated or anything of that sort. So then it's like later on, years later, um, I used to, I, I know how to make uh, Apple hard drives back in the day talk to Windows hard drives, which they didn't talk to each other because you have two two different formats. For those who are nerdy, the formats are HFS versus uh, NTFS for Windows. But if you're not nerdy, you don't know what that means. Or, well, they're all going X fat
0: now. So <laughs> <Yeah>. inter- interoperability.
1: <laughs> it's true. All that's going away. But yeah, back in the day, you know, I could make those two things talk. And so then they're like, oh, can you get data off this drive? I was like, oh, oh, yeah, not a big deal. And people would come from all around town to get data off of Apple computers because like no one else at the time in that town knew how to get data off of Apple computers. I was like, oh yeah, that's fine, I can do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, as, as you started too, you know, one of the things I found you know interesting, I think for, for some of us that did start many moons ago, it was, was finding career mentors, finding leadership and guidance, and maybe people saying, hey, you know, don't touch that stove, it's hot, or do certain things. Certain <laughs> did, you, did you find yourself able to find early mentors and, and ways
1: to help kind of maybe guide you in the right direction? You know, I don't think I've ever really thought about this, but like my first technology job, because I lived in a mountain town and it was a really small town. Uh, and, you know, it was one of those things where there there were three people in the office on any given day. Sometimes it was just me by myself. Uh, sometimes it was two of us. Uh, but really, it felt like I was working with a little family and, you know, we I, I'd go to their houses for holidays because my family was far away, you know, oftentimes. And and I mean, we would do everything together, you know, and, and I remember getting a secondary job at Walmart because even though they were a small business, they couldn't really pay very much and stuff like that. I was like, well, I would rather work here and at Walmart to make ends meet because if I leave that place, I'm leaving my family is what it felt like. And, you know, they would, they taught me how to, how to rebuild a a TiVo. They taught me how to refurbish laptops. They taught me, and, you know, I think I discredit a lot of that because a lot of probably why I know a lot of what I know comes from having no idea what I was doing. And they'd sit down with me all day long and just explain things to me. And they'd be like, Okay, this works this way. This works this way. And then you you there were real world consequences cuz it was in the middle of a recession. So if I didn't do a good job then it it you know, it hit hits our finances and puts everyone in jeopardy, not even just me. So then everyone's like, "Okay, so we have to make it through this." And I think that spirit of like, "Okay, like we're in this together. We're going to make it through this." And 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 you know, we're all here for each other. I think that in a lot of ways was the beginning of my career and what what I got used to. And then I went to other places. And of course, you know, even working like the side job at Walmart, like Walmart just felt cold. So I don't even I don't even I don't even talk about I don't even know if I've ever mentioned on any of the things here that I worked at Walmart, because it was such a insignificant thing in my head that I don't think of it as experience, which it is. And and I guess I should think about it and talk about that. But the it, it was such a the only real reason I was there is like, I would rather make minimum wage where I, I think I made less over there than I made at Walmart just so that I could still, still, you know, work with them. <laughs> so I guess I had a lot of mentorship. Yeah.
0: Was there anything, you know, maybe if you looked at specifically, you said there was, there's maybe a fundamental moment or something that was really that light bulb moment where you say, wow, this is, I'm onto something where that really kind of kept you coming back and really say, Hey, look, if I'm going to get paid less here. I still want to stick it out.
1: Well, I mean, I had plans on leaving after graduating, so I was like, "Well, this is just a temporary thing until I'm ready to leave." So when I when I went down to the city, I guess uh, in a lot of ways, I was trying to just change my career and move into you know what I went to college for. But since I'd been working in technology, I got this interview and. It's funny. I'm on LinkedIn and and you see all this stuff on LinkedIn and people often say like, never beg for a job. Never beg. Begging is bad. And I begged for that job and I got that job. And I'm like, had I never begged? That's terrible advice. Don't tell people not to beg for a job. If they have a good reason to beg and they give people, you know, they put the work in. I don't think that matters. But anyways... I, I think I had a sense of desperation because not being able to find the work I wanted then put me in a in a financial situation. So I was like, I need to just do whatever I'm capable of doing. And uh, so then you know I was like, I I'll do anything if you hire me. And they <laughs> you know had me getting Microsoft certifications, and I just failed every certification. I failed. <laughs> I failed the Microsoft certifications to, that I was supposed to pass to keep that job so many times that I don't know if people know this, but Microsoft will lock you out of being able to take those certifications again.
0: <laughs> yeah. For, what, was it for a time period or indefinitely?
1: For a year. Yeah. Oh, wow. You, so yeah, they lock you out for 12 months. If, at the time, if you failed five times on a certification test, and I would study day and night. But really what I learned is I was trying to do too much, not sleeping enough, not getting enough rest and, and trying too hard. And in a lot of ways, like studying too hard and not giving myself like time to collect myself. Now I know how that, now I know how that works. But at the time I was like, I have to keep this job that I begged for. <laughs> and, and, you know, and then uh, once I passed a certification, cause I ended up doing a harder certification later and I passed that one right before losing that job. And then I, I got to keep it. And I was like, well, now I know a whole bunch of stuff. And so I I actually started a company called Artisan Information Research. And I I didn't, you know, the only reason I ever got a normal job, because my parents were entrepreneurs, uh, was because a scholarship I had told me that I couldn't keep the scholarship. And it was how I was paying for my college if I didn't get like a normal job. And so, you know. I, I was like, well, I, I miss doing what I used to do for a living, which is just doing my own thing. Cause I used to DJ and I, I used to do so many random things. So I started another company. And then when I started that company, that's when logarithm poached me before I even really got that one off the ground. Cause they, they had some interesting things and they, I, and I wanted to travel. So I was like, okay. And then that, you know, got me into SIM a lot more and, and, you know, you do something enough. I used to do SIM deployments and now I just do that stuff for fun. So I guess, I guess that idea that if you do something enough, you might become passionate about it. Cause I used to hate doing those deployments. And now I'm like, well, you know, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> so which you don't, know, but you, so,
0: you know, uh, log rhythm, which is great, you know, and I've had James Carter and um, and other folks that, that have come and gone from rhythm on the show before. And, um, you know, it's funny, you know, we, 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 I look at them now being at Splunk literally across the street. I said, James Carter, I'm going to have a dance off one day, you know, we're, we're kind of frenemies in the same way, but it's, you know, it's, there there's plenty plenty of work to go around so by no means do i disparage them <laughs> i think they're they're great um totally. but you know what there had to have been a point there where you were thinking you know do i i got this security job it's a it's a well-known local company they're they're you know they're they're a hot thing was there a point that you started thinking hey I, re- I really want to kind of leave and not not for anything specifically bad because i know your journey was then going out to do your own thing but w- what was it about maybe being, being the corporate, the corporate citizen that left something that you wanted to itch on your own?
1: So that's a good question. So when I was working at law rhythm, like I, it was a, it was a good company. I had a good time, all those good things, but, uh, something that I think I just have an itch for making things and entrepreneurship. And uh, I don't know if once again, that might, maybe that comes from just like how I was raised. I was raised like in a van where my dad was like, when he's like, I'm not giving, we're not getting a babysitter or whatever. I'm just going to take you with me and I'm, I'm building this business. So I'm like, Oh, that's just like what you do. And so I always wanted to make something or I always wanted to build something, but really what happened uh, was I, I ended up getting hospitalized uh, so badly Though you know, I used to be a very athletic person, you know, I snowboarded, I would do all these things, I, I used to run a lot, and I, I'd, I'd go run 10 K's and stuff. And I'd be like, Oh, this is, this is great. And I'm like, everyone should should do these things. It's, you know, it's healthy for you and good for you and all this stuff. And, you know, I was this person who was very active, moved around a lot. Uh, but then my world changed dramatically, where one day I got hospitalized, and I it turned out, at the time I didn't know what I, what I had or how to manage it, but I, I have Crohn's disease, but at the time is just a mystery. And when you don't know how to manage it, you can just end up bedridden all the time. And so I, I just got to the point where I could barely even make it into the office. You know, there'd be some, some weeks that I'd make it in, I'd be able to work maybe five hours or 10 hours in a week. And then, you know, hopefully the next week wasn't going to be as terrible as that week. And that got me thinking like i need to take a step back and understand what's going on with my body and my health and really just focus on myself for a while and focus on like my needs instead of the needs of a company and all this stuff so i i took a massive risk to really just just leave and then try to just say i'm gonna sit here and try to figure out all of my health stuff like all of it. And, and, you know, that's what led to me kind of understanding that I, okay, so I have this disability now, my like mobility is significantly more complicated. I can't just go run around like I used to. There's no, uh, you know, maybe someday I might be able to run 10 Ks and stuff like that again, but, you know, forevermore, I, you know, I, I I need a lot of help to, to do much of anything. (laughs) But uh, one thing that, on one end i think people oftentimes are like oh you know i feel sorry for you and things like that but the reality is it opened up my world in a way where i've never been happier than i am now because what it's forced me to do is it's given me space to think and space to understand myself and space to build levels of self awareness i didn't even you know i would have probably never even spent the time on because i always just made myself so busy and really I would say that if it wasn't for that, I probably wouldn't have forced myself to like suffer through starting Notion Point and trying to get all the things going. Cause while other people, because I, I remember when I was starting Notion Point, I had uh investors telling me that, you know, oh, you're just gonna quit in a year and oh, you're not but I don't I don't know if they really understood and and I don't even know if I understood it's like when you when your circumstances are that like your options are well if I try to get a job there's no way I can keep it or maintain it or like I can't I can't wait tables to make money I can't do anything like that So it's like, well, I have all these skills, and if I just lean into myself, and then I think about, like, what am I capable of doing? Maybe I can't go run circles around people's houses or something like that, but do I really need that to be okay or to build a career or to be successful? And the answer is absolutely not. And what I realized is, you know, as long as you're willing to kind of just accept who you are and what you are and those things, then you can really kind of find something that will give you, I get what what I kind of think of as like superpowers, because the thing that makes someone unique is something that you kind of have to find within yourself that someone else can't see in you. It's kind of like our our heads have whatever in our heads, and someone would have to be psychic to know what's in there. But if you start letting those thoughts out and and trying to see how you can use what you know to help people. Uh, That eventually led to me start like, you know, now at this point, I started creating a like an automation platform for people trying to, you know, either teach or build things and stuff like that. And a lot of that came from, you know, trying to help help people learn how to educate and stuff like that and finding out that they really don't have all the things that they need or the resources that they need to not charge students like 10 grand to learn what they need to learn. And it's just that the resources didn't exist. So it's like, well, you, people got to pay for the resources somehow, cause there's there, there aren't uh, affordable alternatives to make it easier to do certain things. So I was like, well, why don't I focus on that and make it easier for people to learn and easier for people to learn how to develop things and easier to start. I don't care what they're trying to start. Are you trying to start a business? Are you trying to start a career? Technical skills are technical. I tell this to people sometimes is, uh, you know, what's harder technical skills or social skills. Technical skills are generally black and white and you can follow a checklist. Uh, And then the the non-technical skills, you actually have to try to talk to people. You have to do back and forth. You have to try to understand what's going on with folks. You have to understand their lives, their circumstances, their business, their business model. I, I tell you, that's infinitely more complicated than just trying to understand how the backbone of a cloud works. The backbone of a cloud is checklist, step one click on this, step two, click on that over there. And so I've been trying to kind of help bridge the fact that, cause you know, I find in the cybersecurity space, I think a lot of people think that getting into cybersecurity is so hard I've learned because I think they think that they're not technical enough. And so they keep going down this rabbit hole of trying to get more technical when really they need to stop that and go learn how to talk to human beings. You learn how to talk to human beings, you can get the job, the technical stuff, you can learn how to follow checklists, learn that you don't need to, to memorize it. You just follow it. And that's kind of what I'm trying to encourage people to learn how to work with people. It'll change your life more than the technical skills in some ways.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's, I important. always say, you know, we're securing people, not, not computers, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really, you have to understand the human beings that sit behind and where, where we have, like, I mean, I've done. Um, far too many data breaches and incidents that i care to remember and a lot of them start from you know quote-unquote human error it's understanding what drives people what's their incentives why would they click on something um and it's understanding people's behavior um is much more important as you said it's i i can i can probably still reverse engineer things and and registry files and mft tables But who cares at this point? You know, it's, yeah, it doesn't become scalable at a certain point. Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, as, as, as you're going through this journey, and, and I, and I remember you even kind of reaching out to me, we talked around that time. And of course, my, my immediate answer was, yeah, jump off the ledge, go for it. Like, cause that's, that's my answer (laughs) to everything is do it. Um, Totally. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm glad to see that he did and, and, and not, you know, fail miserably because then I would have felt horrible. But the, but there had been moments there too where it was probably not, as smooth as as one would think. I think people don't realize that, you know, you hear the highlights of a journey, but there there are points where you have to there's can get rocky going on that road. Oh yeah. What were there were <laughs> there points that, that made you question that journey and, and how did you get through that? What was your support system like and what did you what did you do to kind of cope through that?
1: Well you know your support system's everything. I'll tell you that first and foremost, because if you don't have the right people around you, I'm just going to go so far as to say that trying to pull off the things that I wanted to pull off last year and did probably would have been absolutely impossible. And this goes back to where in some ways I do sometimes feel like my disability saves me in areas where others maybe have more trouble is uh, when, as soon as people find out that in, in the business space that I have like a disability, folks who try to try to kind of focus on manipulation and usury, that sounds inconvenient. So they leave me alone. And so what it does is the people who do come and talk to me, I tend to get higher quality people willing to talk to me and talk through things, especially if I get real with them. Uh, Cause then folks who don't want, you know, overhead and stuff like that are actually people who don't want to build a relationship. They like back away. They're like, oh. I'm going to back away from this situation and talking to this person, (laughs) which is really helpful for me. Um, And so, you know, what I did a lot of is trying to focus on bringing people together uh, you know, whether it be students, uh, the people who are facilitating like students' lives, like different programs trying to find ways to get other businesses to, to come together And I spent a lot of time focusing on using education as a tool to bring people together. Uh, But also because, you know, I have an interest in helping people's lives kind of change and adjust. And so I had this, you know, we had done this like hacking tournament and I was really trying to figure out how to make this hacking tournament, something that people could use to have more like of a real world learning experience for cybersecurity types of things. And you know, I started going to AWS because that's the recommendation that people have, oh, you know, use AWS, you can make it easy to host and stuff like that. But the the financial and cost overhead for someone like me who knows how to work with bare metal, I was like, whoa, like this general cost overhead is tremendous. And I remember uh, like starting to do like this development and I was like, well, I'm gonna go ahead and try to build some, some stuff to make this tournament work over AWS. And the, the thought of trying to come up with an alternative to AWS, but then take on claiming that people should maybe kind of consider having a way to try to own their own technology. No one in their right mind is ever going to say like, oh yeah, I would love to build build my own cloud. So once again, this goes back to like education is I had this idea that maybe... If I focus on education, I can use that as a tool to show people what's actually possible so that people can have more options and more alternatives and focus on that and and focus on what's possible versus, you know, what someone might want to do or might not want to do or might want to use. And for small projects, if you're trying to either teach students or you're just trying to test an MVP or some of these other things, some of those development costs, especially like, you know, for cloud platforms, Uh, It gets really rough, especially if you like to run things continuously and you don't want to have limits and you want to be able to chew through a lot of data or run a lot of tests. Uh, you know, all of that just turns into financial overhead that somehow has to come out of your pocket. And so, I remember w- working with AWS. Their service was really good, but they kept charging me for things that that I told them to stop charging me for. And they would always give me a refund. That like, that's never the problem. Someone's like, "Well, but AWS has really good customer service." Yeah, I had I had no problem with their customer service, and they always refunded me. So, will will AWS refund you for things? Absolutely. <laughs> Um, but you know when you're really just trying to to figure out how to do stuff the other thing is when I was trying to recommend other people learn certain cloud things like okay well recommending that they okay it's like the trial gets confusing and all this other stuff so I had recently discovered this like drop shipping and drop shipping you know they have like raspberry Pis on there I was like oh I I, I bet you could like drop ship open source hardware to people and and let them learn on that as instead of trying to host and then make it to where uh, someone else if they were an educator or a teacher or something like that maybe they could just send that to someone who you know then you don't have to pay monthly fees you just send them a, a thing one time and then bam that's their lab it's and it's Always their lab, and then they can take it with them. And if they're a middle schooler and they're trying to learn some things, great. Now they have this tiny little server and they get to learn how servers work. There's no monthly fees. No one has to worry about maintaining the monthly payment on it or, you know, and then even <laughs> AWS, like $30 a month, you can get a Raspberry Pi for like $60 once, yeah, uh, once. you know. <laughs> And the Raspberry Pi 4 was powerful enough uh, to where it, it's you know, powerful enough as some of the compute modules in AWS. And I was like, oh, sweet. This is just as powerful as, as corporate stuff that you need to, you know, for the stuff that I would build tools inside of. Uh, and then it occurred to me that, oh, what if I just act? Because the, prob- the problem with the Raspberry Pi or open source hardware is then you have to have the skills to know how to do something with it. And while I was using it to teach, there were a bunch of complications. So I was like, what if I were to just build a like software for it where it, you can just use that to just have a foundation that's ready to start developing cloud things with? Uh, And so then I started running into this idea of, like, what if you could just have the cloud, like, on your desk and then have it to where it can be software so it can be used in AWS, too, if you wanted to, or in Azure, too, if you wanted it to. And I had this idea that if I if I put out ideas that are good ideas, then they'll get stolen. And if I can't afford to implement those ideas, then more powerful companies will take those ideas and make it exist. And so I just started talking about it. And the thing is, I don't know if it's through word of mouth where people saw my things or if just, if I thought it was a good idea, I guarantee a lot of people thought it was a good idea. So the more those ideas can circulate, things happen and they did. And so it was October, uh, when all of a sudden it's like a lot of the things that we talk about suddenly became built into Azure. Uh, and I was like, this, this is all I've ever wanted in life is, 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 is to see if this would work. And it does. So if, if I don't know why people get so bent out of shape about the whole concept of ideas getting stolen, because if you, if you kind of treat the world like your company, then everyone can just cooperate together. And we don't all have to be enemies and fight each other. Cause that doesn't make sense anyways. And that doesn't help progress anyway. So put the ideas out there. And then if it's a big enough idea, then, you know, what is engineering in the first place versus like development? Development, if you're a developer, that could mean that you develop a thing. Engineering means that there's a lot of developers putting things together to make a bigger thing. So I have this idea of like, what if if everyone in the world could just develop things together? Cause that just makes sense. And so in a lot of ways, that's what I focus on is bringing the world together and getting the world to develop things that can then be you like leveraged unanimously. And I think that's the power of open source and something that draws me to like open source, uh, where then we can go and implement that into businesses. Uh, and so I was so into that, like we pretty much took every penny we had and everything that we had to try to make this idea happen. And it got to where like, we had just enough money to launch like like we we started manufacturing our own cases started building like the software stuff started building like white papers and all this stuff and we had just enough money to launch what we were doing and if we didn't make enough money for both all of the development bills and all that stuff and rent then I guess we just don't eat or we just don't get rent or or any of it because we just like nosedived and and you know on one end I wonder like had we not nosedived I think it would have failed anyways. So I think it just needed to happen. <laughs> um, and looking back on it, I feel like we did the right thing, but we, we got to the point where we like, we exhausted everything and, and literally just every month they're like, okay, we got that month through. Okay. Next month, here we go. Got that month next through. And, and it. And sometimes we wouldn't get all of the, the, the bills met until like maybe like the last couple of days of the month. Um, Cause we really wanted to try to make this like serious and we didn't have venture capital. Like I, we self-funded this whole thing. Like it's, it's half crazy if I'm going to be blunt. <laughs> and everyone told me, I had so many people telling me that what I was doing was impossible and you can't do that. And we had investors coming around and we turned them down. And I remember in, 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 uh, it was like June, we were at a crossroads where we were like, do we keep suffering, through this or and trying to do it this way or or do we go and and work with venture capital uh, and and we we're like we're gonna just try to do it on our own <laughs> and so then I was like well now we created all this crazy stuff so now we need to go find a company who needs the type of technologies that we develop and then I'm obsessed with sim and I was like, well, let's go find a company to help. And I, I don't have unlimited time. I, ha- I have like barely any time if I'm <laughs> gonna try to just like live my life. And lo and behold, there was literally one company on the planet who was exactly what we were looking for. That's like exactly the portfolio that I'm like, this, this company, they're trying to do crazy stuff that's like borderline impossible. And that's what I do. And I'm like, okay. And they do SIM. I'm like, okay. That sounds, that sounds good. Let's go, let's go make some things that sound impossible. <laughs> so, so that was blue Mira. And so that, you know, that, that was when we finally are like, okay, so now we're getting implemented into the market. Now we're getting our, like our I- ideas out and, and, and really changing in a lot of ways, like edge computing has been around since like 2015. But in a lot of ways, for people who don't know what edge computing is, you should start looking into what edge computing is. Because that's in a lot of ways what we do where we're using edge computing as a new emerging technology in what's called cloud native. So if you don't know what cloud native, that's another term to look up. Uh, Cloud native computing foundation is a thing these days. And, you know, all this stuff is so new that a lot of people haven't quite figured out how to apply it. But the catch is if, if you, if you think about data centers in 2010, you have the, the giant buildings, you have all of the systems in one giant building oh, and maybe they have, have to price different...
0: those things out and do BTU <laughs>
1: calculations. I probably can still do it. That's scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's a, it's a huge operation and the centralization is critical. And what we realize is what if we could leverage edge computing to lift the need for for having a data center as a data center where then maybe a data center could exist on the, the bare metal of of someone's cloud could exist on the desks of the admins and the and the developers we're like is that possible can you can you get rid of that and then leverage edge computing to make something that that can just like scale that way And then we found out the answer is yes. (laughs) And so we just started uh, implementing that this year. And then that's when Point we decided to pivot that into cloud underground, where it's like, okay, so what if someone wanted to start a new business in a modern climate and doesn't have you know venture capital especially or lots of funding of their own or especially people with super limited budgets trying to do something that's already super expensive and they want to do their own development they want their own bare metal they don't want to run an office they want to be able to scale still without all those limitations they want to be able to maybe even be 100 percent remote you know that's a that's a tall glass to order if someone's saying that they don't want to have like an on-prem location and they also don't want to go with aws that sounds crazy what we're saying is, put this on your desk, and then when you hire someone else, just, if if they're a developer, put 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 them on the desks of the IT admins and and on the desks of your developers. And you know, it's I, I'm the kind of per- person who's like, other people can do this. You don't need to, you know pay us to do it. It's just, we, we specialize and our like model of doing things is why don't we focus on money going into skills and labor mostly and, and less on infrastructure and housing and other things. And maybe how can we find ways to put more money into people? And that's really what we wanted to lean on is let's, let's try to put the most amount of money into people more than other resources. And so that's kind of a lot of our philosophy and that kind of drove us through Uh, you know, I would say it was December. We were at the point where like, we didn't have money for like Christmas gifts or anything like that. We were at the point where we were like, uh, I actually got like COVID in December and with my disability, it was brutal. And with us also having to try to like make the sales and stuff like that, uh, the community uh, actually rallied and, and supported us. And it was the community that came together and like, sent us meals for Christmas and stuff like that. And, you know, that comes from, I I believe our focus on people. I I think it matters because, you know, I always have the saying is if you put people first, it's your people who make you powerful. Like us as an individuals aren't powerful. You know, we're just, we're just individuals. (laughs) And so you put your time and your energy into others, then when things do hit the fan you know, December could have been the thing that put us down and, and just that would have been it. <laughs> but the reality was that people didn't want us to end and didn't want us to fail. And so they didn't allow it. And so here we are today, just growing now. And now we have more support than we ever thought we'd have. We're doing like, it's really it's really weird going from idea to creating like technologies that don't exist. And and it's a uh, it's fun and it's empowering, but it's it's a uh, it was it was real stressful. Like there are days when I was just like, I don't even know why we chose to do this <laughs> in our lives. <laughs> yeah,
0: been there. You know, when you when you we start coming up with productization of things and. You, you you have some very early encouragement. You're like, is this just confirmation bias? Am I seeking this? Um, <laughs> it, am I completely just living in my head on this? And then when you start getting those first bites, and uh, it's 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 a weird journey, I have to say. And in, and in, in, through that, you know, were there maybe existential sources—books, blog, uh, podcasts, or blogs—were there things that you relied on to say, you know, as you go through these, you know, kind of a lean startup kind of mentality, or looking at things and iterating and there's a psychological aspect of it. It's like, were, were there things that you, you looked for as, as structures or maybe past lessons from others to say, okay, I think what I'm doing kind of makes sense.
1: Well, I, I asked you a lot of questions and <laughs> you gave me a lot of good advice and reading. <laughs> that was very helpful. Um, it, the, that book Essentialism is really good. And I think we book club that too, but either way, if someone, if you haven't read the book Essentialism and you're trying to start a, a business, just I don't know. Read that book, and read then that like high <laughs> power.
0: That's my the, that's my first recommendation. to Everybody, it's like, read read that, and then talk.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then and then another thing is like that. Well, this, this you're you're familiar with because because this advice came from you is just like the whole thing of, like working on your business and not in the business, and you know structuring your management so that you can work on the business and not in the business. That's that's a very magical thing. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Yeah, because because otherwise you will burn out. And one thing I always tell entrepreneurs too, especially for people who come into our circle who are wanting to start a business, is, you know, if you're just a normal employee who doesn't do business and you just like work jobs, if you burn out, you know, you know, it's one thing; it's not good, like you know. But it's oftentimes usually not like the end of your job. Yeah. If you're uh, like a, an entrepreneur, burnout can mean the end of your business and then not structuring your business to stave off burnout it it's probably going to result in the end of your business or something along those lines and and anyone who's tried it i feel like i mean would would, would you say burnout is is can be a especially in the early days of business like getting right off the ground in a fresh new startup you just kicked off you got limited funds what do you, how do you feel about that <laughs>
0: Yeah. So I've actually seen, you know, burnout at success, you know, when, 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 you know, either organizations I've worked with or, you know, companies I've been involved with my, my, my wife's company, where it was almost like by the time of getting to that, that time to celebrate success, it was, it was over. Um, just because of the the emotional and financial tolls and there's almost nothing left in the gas tank to keep it going. Um, and I think that's one of the hardest things that people have. It's like, you want to give it all and you want to leave everything in yeah. the field. But at a certain point, like there there's, she can't, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so it's the pacing of oneself, um, to, to be able to do that and giving, giving recovery time becomes incredibly important. Even if you think, Hey, this is the make it or break it dealer moment. Often it's not, you know, it's being able to step back and come back and fight again is much more valuable than to, to, to give it all and just lose on that, that
1: one day moment, whatever it is. Totally. And have you ever read any Seth Godin books? Have you read the one called This Is Marketing? I don't I don't know if you've read I, that. I have. One. I'm a big fan of Seth Godin and his
0: podcast I and stuff. <laughs> and it's, it's a
1: good thing. And it's it's
0: you know, one of the things that I, I've told others too is look if and it's it's come out either directly from him or in his ecosystem of things, of and, and I don't think it's necessarily terribly original, but it's good sound and sage advice, is mm-hmm. if you're going to try to become a market player. You want to become the dominant force. You want to become number one. And if you can't, maybe you create a new market. Um, And and that could be with the same product in a different focus. It could be a different geographic area. Uh, you know, I'm trying that with ideas, even with Splunk's technology has been around forever, but I'm saying, okay, where are there markets that don't know? How do we become a leader in that market geographically? So a lot of it is just positioning things in ways to be a dominant force in that. And I think his mentality around that is is really how you connect with people and just don't be second best is, is a really strong message I've taken from him.
1: Totally. Yeah. Because uh, I, I like the section on that, his newest book that talks about like a, a like a more modern business model. And it, it got me thinking in a lot of ways, too, about like cloud, because that drove a lot of what we do. And, you know, there's a reason why companies hold on to, you know, on-premise environments or, or, or rent their own co-location where they can have their own bare metal and things like that. Uh, but then, you know, there are also benefits to renting cloud, too. But it's, it's one of those weird things where it's just trying to figure out like, like what's going to help people. You almost have to just ask people what, what they're looking for. Cause I don't even think other people know what like would be a solution to what they wish existed. Uh, Cause I guess that's just business in a lot of ways is trying to figure that out. <laughs> and that's yeah. a tricky thing. And being,
0: you know, being agile to that and is adaptable to those changes, I think, you know, there's an incredible beauty now when I look at, Folks that have been able to start businesses versus when I started in the 90s, of, of doing things with ad placements in newspapers, uh, radio, telephone, how to get press, get out there, build a brand, um, try ideas that didn't work in marketing. I mean, it took, it was very, everything was very long tail, a lot of upfront yeah. costs low conversions until you figure out what work versus now you can go to google adwords see what's working what's not you can split a b test a yeah. marketing perspective you can stand things up and take them down almost instantaneously you can build a brand online oh, before true. you even go to market and say hey what's the market temperature for this um the the, the problem with that is then then you, you still have to maintain that ability to pivot almost at any moment because things can shift
1: yep. so yep.
0: It, it's a weird thing to say okay i'm going to work towards um stability but as soon as you're stable and in your comfort zone, is when the things that undermine you come around. So you have to constantly yeah. keep that mentality.
1: It's true. You gotta just you just gotta keep building like more more things that people need. Figure out and well, that's one reason why we pivoted because even though we found a successful product and and things of that nature, um, there's some ch- one of the challenges I found is challenges in the education market come into play where a lot of the resources for education cost a lot. And, and what that often then means is it bars those with lesser incomes from, from getting access to a lot of that education in a lot of ways. And it makes it really complicated. And so we were trying to find ways to lift the bar off of that uh, by doing what we were doing and, and focusing on trying to directly help you know new learners and people who are trying to learn. And and we pivoted to focus more on those who have the resources to help the new people instead, because then that's a greater impact. And focusing more on senior leadership and helping leaders lead, and and helping you know other people. Because you know one thing that I guess we did find is like we, we learned a lot just kind of doing things on our own that that can help other leaders with what they're trying to do and accomplish. Uh, and a lot of that just kind of comes down to finding more ways to bring people together, and then finding ways to lower the cost helps bring people together when when cost can be a barrier to togetherness. And that includes an education. And if we have all these, I guess, skill gaps and things like that, I think cost plays a dramatic role in, in why people don't necessarily even pick up some of the skills that would help fill in such said skill gap. You know, I think about I went to school uh, and then after getting hired at, at companies, like companies have their own internal universities. And then the stuff that you learn at a company's internal university, oftentimes is stuff that you probably won't learn anywhere else. And, and I think that in a lot of ways is reflective of the state of the market. Like, why does that need exist? Because for these companies to flourish and grow, there's an awareness already that, that educational resources aren't going to help that that, that exist in the market aren't going to help that company succeed unless they put some effort in themselves to to expand upon that. So I, I think about things like that because it's really tricky. Um, so I don't know. It's a lot of that stuff. Well, no, I,
0: I <laughs> agree. I mean, I, I, when people say, Hey, look, you know, there's a, we just can't, gosh, we just can't hire enough people for the open racks. So I'm like, well, okay, let's, let's address that. And maybe it's our problem. You know, the barriers of entry for folks to get into cybersecurity of, you know, where we put, Uh, you know, unwieldy kind of education programs. You know, I want an undergrad, I want a master's, and then I want somebody to come in and I want them to have these certs. It's like, you just, you just named like a quarter million dollars in education that you expect Mm -hmm. somebody to have. And you want them to have one to three years experience on top of that. It's like, it's just not going to exist. You you want as unicorns and that's instead of hiring for training, you know, people that have the aptitude to learn people that have, been educated on how to educate themselves that have that propensity to learn, then then we're not going to change things. And yep. disparately, we we put people, uh, unrepresented groups, people with mental health mm-hmm. conditions, non able bodied and dis- disability people further and further out at bay, um, yep. instead of making it an inclusive thing. And that's why you know this part of this my new mission in life is is to support di- diversity, equity, inclusion, and mental health awareness. Yeah, because you know we don't support people that don't quite frankly have looked like me, you know, your traditional cis male, able-bodied white upper middle class. And I I can't sit there and turn around and say, geez, why aren't there enough people in cybersecurity? (laughs) It's like, well, not everybody had my starting blocks and that's not fair.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it really is tricky because, and that's what I learned last year above all things is it's infinitely more complex than I think I knew kind of at a high level, what I was getting myself into, but I think the skill You know, the education piece in the cybersecurity space is a a lot, a lot more of a behemoth than I expected, which is why I'm like, okay, so just us trying to build one entity, I don't think that's enough and it's not going to grow or scale fast enough, what grows and scales faster is, is what you know you help one, one group of leadership, then maybe they can help, you know, a a couple thousand people and then another couple thousand people with that group of leadership right there. So that's kind of where, where I think this year I want to kind of reposition myself even because you're right. It is kind of complicated where even when I was working at companies and without getting like too specific into some of the things is, you know, I remember going into an office with a colleague and I was the, the one who was the engineer working on the project or the lead consultant anyways. And they look at the guy next to me who looks a lot more like who who they thought was on the phone, because I speak fairly articulately. Uh, they're like, oh, you must be Nathan. And, and it's like, well, actually I am. And, you know, like little things like that. And, you know, I, I, I was the one who would be not 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 just me, but you'd see more like the minorities and the women kind of hanging out, <laughs> things yeah. like that, in the small little group, like the little club. Well, I, I can't you know, tell you the
0: type. So Leah Nicola,
1: who's been on the
0: the who's a, a friend and play of mine for a long time she would when she was out here in denver too and has now moved out here her and her husband um are both met working with me and both do incident response so god knows what they talk about malware all day i'm <laughs> uh, love them both but you know she she she's told stories on the Colorado equal security podcast that when she was first getting out here and we're networking and building a network and both trying to get, find out what the cybersecurity network's like, they're like, oh, you're Doug and you must be his wife. And she's like, excuse me? No, <laughs> what Right. The hell? Like, I'm not yeah. that we're friends, but we're also workers and I'm a cybersecurity analyst. So treat me as such. And there's there's a problem with that in our industry where mm-hmm. we, we yeah, we look at the people in the room and say, oh, you must be whatever. And it's like, no, wrong. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. And so, you know, it, it's a... I, th- I think it also helps too that like when other people who look a little more like me than see me, you know, putting my face out there, I think it helps encourage them to be like, Oh, I, I could go do that too. Uh, Cause I remember when I was coming into the space and there's like, you know, really you go to the right office and everyone's like, Oh, you're the token black guy. And that's literally what like some, some offices will just like say, and then they'll just like beat it into the ground and you're like, well, I just want to be a person and, and, and like a professional with everyone, but I guess I'm the token black guy. And that's like, like the, they, they, some people cannot see past it in this industry. <laughs> and so I, I think it's another thing that's probably deterred me from, from being, you know, to, to, too happy go lucky about the idea of, of working in, in a lot of like larger companies. It's probably why I stay away from them at this point. <laughs> I just I'm just like I'm just gonna go to create a new market and, and whatever that market wants to do. Like they they never really included me, so I've never felt part of it. So I'm just like I'm making my own. We and and it'll expand the market just by by displacing a part of the market. So I'm like whatever I'll displace a chunk of the market and I'll go find people who who like working with me. <laughs>
0: Well, it, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today, and I support everything you're doing. So, yeah, keep, keep up the good work. Uh, it's, it's, I'm always impressed when I see your LinkedIn posts or get messages for you, how things are going. And uh, I thoroughly support and encourage everything you're doing. Thanks for having me on.
1: Well, awesome. Uh, where can people find you on the uh, interwebs? So probably the easiest place to find me is on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel called NATO as code. And then the other place is on LinkedIn and I talk interchangeably on, on, in both locations. So if you find me on YouTube, you'll learn things about LinkedIn. And if you find me on LinkedIn, then you'll probably see my YouTube videos. So awesome. Well, I'll yeah. be
0: sure to put all that in the show notes. And uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time today.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much
0: for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com, where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.